So what is your spiritual gift? We have been talking from Romans 12 about some of the spiritual gifts that are listed there. I've never been a big fan of these spiritual gift tests. They were really popular years ago. My feeling is, look, if you see a need, just try to fill it. Just start doing something, and eventually you'll know exactly how God has equipped you to serve. Others will tell you that. Spiritual gifts are listed in a couple different passages of Scripture. The chief portions are 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. But bear in mind that even though you you may not have one particular spiritual gift that I've been talking about, with some of these gifts, they're also responsibilities, right? They're Christian responsibilities. You may not have the gift of giving like some, but you have to give, right? You may not have the gift of mercy, but you must show mercy, right? You may not have the gift of teaching, but there's opportunities for you to teach. And one I'm going to speak about today, the gift of exhortation. You may not have that particular gift in all of its strengths, but you are to encourage people. You are, you are to exhort people. So Romans 12:6, Paul says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says that the Holy Spirit gives to each one a spiritual gift as, as he wills. Whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith. We spoke about prophets. prophets or ministry, which means service. Let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts on exhortation. We're going to talk about the gift of exhortation. And that latter phrase, what Paul's really saying when he says, or he that exhorts on exhortation, what he's really saying is, if you have the gift of exhortation, then exhort. Then use it. The gift of exhortation is another one of the speaking gifts alongside prophecy and teaching. It's a servant gift. And it's one of the permanent spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. Now, in the course of the ministry of the prophets, they, they were exhorters. They, they did that often. They reproved, rebuked, and so forth. And every time I preach, uh, I teach. teach is, teaching is breaking down the scripture so that you understand it, what we call exegesis in its context. But I also exhort. That's the practical side. So you take the teaching and then you take the exhortation to put the teaching into practice. So just as the church needs teaching, the church members individually and the church as a body corporately need exhortation, constant exhortation from people who have that gift. Now, to to some extent, as I said, Every Christian must exhort believers at times. But there are those whom God has equipped and given this special ability and desire to use exhortation for the benefit of others. They, they find themselves attracted to people who are really kind of down and, and need to be encouraged and comforted and, and lifted up. They want to lift them up. They want to counsel them from the Scripture. The world is full of discouragement. I mean, you could hardly turn the news on and all you get is bad news. It's full of discouragement. 
So we need plenty of encouragement. We need plenty of encouragers. Hebrews 10.23 said, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider one another to provoke to love and good works. That word provoke there, our English word paroxysm comes from that. And in, in the, the secular Greek language, it, it, it described a, a very sh- a sharp feeling or action. Actually, like the, the point of a needle that you would, you would provoke, you would pick somebody with. You, you stir them up. That's how you provoke them to love and good works. So I gave this definition of the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation is the special ability to minister comfort, encouragement, and counsel to other people in a way that strengthens them spiritually and motivates them to continue on in their faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. Now there's a verse that you're all very well familiar with, John 14, 16, where Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another what? Comforter, that he may be with you forever. And that, whole, that comforter is the Holy Spirit. The Paracletus, Jesus says, I'm going to give the Paracletus to you. John 15, 26, when the Comforter, the Paraclete, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So it's interesting that the word Comforter there in John 15, 26 and 14, 16 is, is the same word for the one who exhorts. In Romans 12, 8. It's, it's a compound word. It comes from the words para, meaning alongside, and the verb to kaleo, to call alongside. John records five paraclete sayings in his gospel. And as the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and he ministers to us. And because he is the spirit of truth, he will always work in concert with the Word of God, the revealed Word of God. And that's why when we come alongside people to counsel them, to encourage them, the best thing that we can do for them is what? Use the Word of God. Jesus said in John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is necessary for, me, for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But, it, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And in John 14, 16, he says, he will abide with you forever. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, there was no indwelling, no permanent indwelling. He would come upon people, David and different prophets, but there was no permanent indwelling. In the New Testament, after Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God, it's hard to wrap your your brains around this, but he indwells us. He is in us. And he manifests his presence in those times in which we need his divine assistance. And he gives us understanding of the word of God. His presence within us is also the guarantee, and this is 
something that I really encourage with you. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you is the guarantee that you are saved. That you have been purchased by Christ and redeemed from your sins. Ephesians 1.13 In whom you also... Now notice the order here. We know from Scripture, Romans 10, 13, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. And that's what you see here in the Scripture, Ephesians 1, 13. In whom you also, when you heard the Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. So that's the order. You hear the preaching of the gospel, you respond to it, you receive Christ, and then it says, the Holy Spirit indwells you, really, and, and seals you. Seals you. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that, that sealing by the Holy Spirit in, indwelling is the guarantee, he says, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And that's a beautiful thing. We know, though, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, right? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can be vexed. All of those things are possible but he will not withdraw from us because Jesus says he will abide with you forever. So if you are saved and you go off track, what's the Holy Spirit's ministry? Put you back on track, right? He brings conviction. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 16 that uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, which means convince, of sin and righteousness and judgment. So he has a ministry to the unsaved, convincing them of their sin and their need for Christ, but an ongoing ministry in the life of the the believers to make them more like Christ. Now, exhortation is multifaceted, and it, and it, it can be positive by nature, and I think it most often is, but exhorters are comforters in times of trial and distress. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? This, this is what Paul lived for. This is really what he's saying. This is what I lived for. Are not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? That's what he lived for. To see people come to Christ and be with him at his coming. For you are our glory and joy. But notice the next verse. I'll put this one up here on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 3.1 Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Now, why did he send Timothy when he could not be with him? To establish you, right? So that your, your, your Christian faith isn't up one day and down the next and all over the place. To ground you in the truth. To establish you and to comfort you. To exhort you. To encourage you concerning your faith. And that's what we all need. We need to be like Timothy. Well, exhorters, they, they face trials just like you do. 
But, but for the most part, those that I've known, they don't see those trials as, as uh, obstacles. But they really see them as opportunities for growth. Paul was a preacher of the gospel. He was a teacher. He was an apostle. He was an exhorter too. He, the scriptures that he has written for us are full of exhortations. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, now I don't understand this. I don't understand this. He says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am what? Weak, then I am strong. See, it was an opportunity for God to show, or Lord Jesus, to show his power in Paul when he brought him to those places in his life where he, he, he was in great stress. He even said it right there, distress, persecution, reproach. In Acts chapter 14, you can look at this. Acts chapter 14, verse 20. I want to make sure I have the right one. It sounds a little funny. <clears throat> yeah. So it says in verse 20, Acts 14, as the, the disciples stood round about him, and that would be Paul, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to, to Antioch. Now, do you think, you know, you might think that, wow, you know, he faced so much opposition, maybe he should take some time off, right? But he never did. He never did. It says here, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them, exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of, he of heaven. So he knew that believers would have obstacles. They would face trials. They would face persecution. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution to some degree. But he was exhorting them to continue in the faith. To continue in the faith. I'm thankful for the people that I've known in the past in my life who who had that kind of a word of encouragement. Because despite what people, some people may say, the Christian life is not easy. The Christian life is, is difficult. If you're going to live for God, it's, it's not a walk in the park. It's a spiritual battle. That's why we're told to put on the whole armor of God. That's why we're warned about Satan, against Satan, who's ro roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So you can expect many trials in the Christian life. Young people, some of you just sort of getting started in your Christian life. You can expect that you're going to face difficulties. But you can also anticipate greater blessings to come, right? What does Romans 8.18 says? Paul said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time and he suffered a lot, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, that's a word of encouragement. Maybe you're going through something really difficult right now. 
some particular type of a suffering, some particular trial. And here's the apostle, the exhorter, telling you, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in you. Why? Because it's only for a time. It's only for a short time. But the glory that's going to be revealed to us and in us is forever. It's for eternity when we're in the presence of the Lord. So you can keep pressing on knowing what's coming, right? You can. And people with the gift of exhortation are committed to the spiritual growth of others. And just let me ask you, are you concerned about the spiritual growth of other people or are you just concerned about your own spiritual growth? You should be looking around and seeing who you can encourage and and help them grow in their faith. But the people with the gift of exhortation are always checking on how other believers are doing in their spiritual walk. They're they're like the cheerleaders at at sporting events. And they're trying to, to push them on to victory, to godliness. You can do this. You know, you can do this. Don't quit. They motivate people to take action, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving their, their, their own selves because they're concerned about their spiritual growth. First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, notice, I exhort you. This is one of many exhortations in the scripture. I exhort you as sojourners and exiles. This is not your home. Remember that. The, the, the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be considered compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. So you're just a sojourner. You're just an exile. So how are we to live as sojourners and exiles? Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. I exhort you. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, that was the teaching that Paul laid out for them on living the Christian life, so you would abound more and more. You would continue in it. Don't quit. Don't go back. Go forward. Keep pressing on. First Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, Paul says, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded Support the weak and be patient toward all men. Now, I think we all struggle a little bit with that, right? Be patient toward all men. Fourthly, people with the gift of exhortation, they will many times go beyond words, just words of encouragement when they can. A lot of times they they will provide practical help as well. So someone says the exhorter takes the truth of God and he puts shoe leather to it. 1 Corinthians 4.14, Paul said this, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So there is the exhortation. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. Not many like me, Paul is saying. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So what does the gospel do? It gives life, Right? That's what it means to be born again. We're regenerated by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone has said the exhorter takes the truth of God, as I said, and puts shoe leather to it. So in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 4.14, he says this, For this reason, when Paul couldn't, couldn't meet the need, 
He says, I sent Timothy to you, my beloved son and faithful and one in the Lord, who will bring to your remembrance my ways which are in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So sometimes you may not be able to jump in and help somebody, but you may know somebody who can. And if, you're, if you have that gift of exhortation and you want them to keep pressing on, you want to build them up, you want to encourage them, then you'll give them that kind of a, a, a help and that assistance. And another thing we know about exhorters is they, they love to prescribe practical steps of action to aid in a person's spiritual growth. They seem to have the ability to envision spiritual achievement for others and then, and then help them take the steps of action that would be necessary to, to achieve it. They're pragmatists, by and large. Sometimes they can be too pragmatic, right? But let me give you an example. Paul, Romans 12.1. We, we talked about this verse already in our study in Romans 12. He says, I beseech. When you see that word beseech, it's the same word. Exhort. I exhort you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... Now, here's the practical steps for his exhortation. Here's what you need to do. I exhort you by the mercies of God, based on the fact that you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You didn't deserve the mercies of God, but you received them. So here's the practicality. That you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he outlines three practical things for them to do after he exhorts them. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's a continual presentation. You continually offer yourself up to God. Secondly, don't be conformed to this world. The world is always trying to press people into its molds. Advertisements, you know, the, the, the media, everything. They're trying to get you to think like them, to act like them, to buy the things they want you to buy. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let them do that. You're different. Jesus says, you're not of this world. I have saved you out of this world. We are different. And then here's the third key. How, how, do, we, how do we do that? How can we be transformed rather than conformed? By the renewing of your mind through the scriptures. You must take in a sufficient amount of the word of God. Now, I, I don't know what that is for everybody. It, it, it will be different for people. Some of you I know go through Bible reading plans, and that's good. But if you're just flipping the pages to get through it, that's not good. You know, you, you've, you have to absorb it. You have to understand it as well. So exhorters love the scripture and they love the book of Proverbs. Don't you, don't you like the book of Proverbs? I mean, it hits the nail on the head many times, right? In few words, it says a lot in just a few words. But exhorters rely on the scriptures. They don't come and just give you a pat on the back, but they'll give you a word from God. Ralph Davis says, we best encourage not by being cuddly with people, but by reminding them of the promises of God. Now, all the promises of God are what? Yea and amen in Jesus Christ. 
So he says, encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the word of God. I am not depreciating the helpfulness of the personal tear, personal touch or care. But in, but in, in, a, in an age that wallows in caring and sensitivity on every hand, believers need to know that solid encouragement does not come from emotional closeness, but from God's word, from what God has said. I don't know, quite frankly, you know, what to tell people at times I, I have, other than what God has said. I mean, I can't say it any better, right? Neither can you. And sometimes the person with the gift of exhortation, number five, he provides direct help himself. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Verse 32. This is the, as the church was, was growing, it says in verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And wherever you, wherever you see great power, you have great grace. And that's what the next verse says. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. And these were really poverty times, times of poverty, famine and so forth. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, not to practice communism, but because there was tremendous needs that had to be met in this fledging church and, and church that was suffering persecution already. And they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as they had need. And it says, and, and Jose's, Jose's, which is Joseph, who was also named Barnabas. And you all heard of Barnabas by the apostles which is translated son of encouragement. That's beautiful, isn't it? Barnabas was a son of encouragement, a, leave of the, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he really led by example. He just didn't say, oh, now you, you need to do this. He did it. He did it. And that was a blessing to the people. Son of encouragement. Now, one other thing I should say about encouragers, for the most part, they provide well-timed counsel. You know what it says in Ecclesiastes 7.3? And I think we would be wise to, to really read the book of Ecclesiastes from time to time. But it says, there is a time to keep silence and a time to what? Speak. You know, Job's, Job's comforters, you know when they got in trouble? When they started speaking. When they just came there and, and came alongside him, and they knew that he, Job knew that he, you know, they cared. Everything was pretty good. There is a time to keep silence and a time to speak, and a good exhorter knows the difference. Sometimes it's just your presence, and you have to wait for the right time to speak. But speaking of Job in chapter sixteen, in verse one it says, "Then Job in answer said, I have heard many such things.'" Miserable comforters are you all. 
What a rebuke. I mean, can't you do better than that? Do you think you're lifting up my spirits by pointing out the sin in my life all the time? Miserable comforters are you all. Shall vain words, which means windy words, lofty words, and if you know Job's comforters, you know they were filled with that, have an end? I mean, is there no end to this? Why don't you just keep quiet? What emboldens you that you, that you answer, that you keep on speaking? There is a time to, to keep silence as well as a time to speak. And we need to know that. We need to know the, the difference. Also, I put down here in number seven, many exhorters demonstrate perseverance in their own lives. They can encourage people to persevere, to keep, to keep moving on to grow in the grace and the knowledge, to, to not let the obstacles stop them from serving the Lord. And oftentimes, they can do that because they didn't let those obstacles stop them. They've, they've gone through those things, and they know that God can supply all that you need, and His power will rest upon you in your, in, in your times of great need. Acts 13.13. 13. Look at this. Acts 13.13. 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Sidia and went into the synagogue the Sabbath and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent it to them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now, that's an invitation, right? I mean, you never tell that to a preacher like Paul, right? Because you, you're, he's going to take you up on it. It says, and then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel, and you that fear God, listen. Give audience. Pay attention. And then he, what, what happens here is, beginning in, in the next verse, 17, he preaches the sermon that goes through all the way through verse 41. And I'm not going to take the time to read that. But I want you to look at the result of what happens afterwards. Verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So whenever God is doing something and says, I'm going to build, Satan says, I'm going to tear down. I'm going to oppose and that's what you see in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So you have, you have the preaching of God's word. You have a captive audience. You have God doing a mighty thing. And you've got this opposition. But Paul's an exhorter. He didn't quit. Look, look, it says in verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas, here's the response, waxed bold. It means that they spoke out all the more boldly. And they said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing that you put it from you, you judge yourselves worthy of everlasting life. Well, you've probably had people who've done this, right? 
You've presented the gospel to them, and they've rejected it. And, and by their rejection of the gospel, they are of their own admission declaring that they're not worthy of eternal life because they're rejecting the, the payment that Christ Jesus made for their sins. Seeing that you have rejected, put it from you, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So now God is doing a remarkable thing. It says in verse 47, For so hath the Lord commanded that is saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. I'm thankful that sometimes it could be discouraging in, in sharing your faith with other people. But there are those times when people are receptive. And, that's, and, and that makes it all worthwhile. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained or set in order for eternal life through the circumstances that God had orchestrated here, believed. And it says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up devout and honorable men. Do you think Satan ever quits? Do you think the opponents just, you know, okay, I can't stop this. Why even try? No, it says they stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city, and they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. What did they do? What did they do? They says they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they came to Iconium. They didn't quit in spite of opposition. They persevered. And one of the great assets, I think, of many exhorters is that they are not quitters. They're not quitters. What, the, what will it take to stop you? What will it take to stop you from living for Jesus? You ever ask yourself that question? John Wesley. Here's, here's a reading from his personal diary. Sunday a.m. May 5th, preached in St. Anne's. Was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m. May 5th, preached in St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m. May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in somebody else's. I don't know what that was referring to. Some other place. Deacons called a special meeting and said I could not return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, was kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in the meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. <laughs> what does it take to stop you, John Wesley? Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached at the edge of the town kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. He, he didn't quit. He just kept moving forward, trusting God. Exhorters are not quitters, and they are going to exhort you not to quit. Never. That, that was the... I, I mentioned this before. By Winston Churchill was asked to speech give a graduation speech at Oxford University after the war. He could hardly walk. He was, he was old. He was weak. He was infirmed. And they asked him to give the graduation speech at Oxford, and he made his way up to the pulpit, and he gave 
what was the only graduation speech ever remembered by those who heard it word for word. He stood up in front of him and he said, never give up, never give up, never give up. And he sat down. And they remembered it. Exhortation can also come in the form of a rebuke. You've probably heard this before. I put it down here. The exhorter has the ability to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. See, we can get very complacent in our Christian life, right? And sometimes we, we need to be a, a little bit afflicted. You know? People need to stir us up. They need, they need to poke us. So many people with the gift of exhortation can gently correct people when they're living in a way that's not consistent with the teaching of the Bible. Others, they're not so gentle. And to be honest with you, sometimes we need it. Just a good, you know, like Don Rohr used to say, you know, if the Lord doesn't get your attention with a two-by-two, he'll use a two-by-four, right? They need, people at times need to feel the disciplinary force of God's word. That he corrects us, he chastens us because we're his children. What father doesn't chasten a child of his that he loves? That's child abuse. Spanking them isn't child abuse. We all become complacent and we all, we all need a little, little rebuke at times. Titus 1.9, Paul said, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That's what we're all called to do. That he may be able, this is speaking of the, 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 the elders, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, the false teachers. So how do you, how do you convince people of the truth? Through the teaching of the word of God. 2 Timothy 4.1 this is, this is a very, very, very apt verse. I charge you, Paul's telling Timothy, before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead as it is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's what the church needs, right? It needs the preaching, the constant preaching of the word of God. Preach the word. It means sound teaching, doctrine. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Preach when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Preach. And then he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Sometimes we need to do that with people. So I would say this in closing. Even if exhortation is not your primary spiritual gift, be an exhorter. So let me ask you, who have you encouraged? Who have you comforted? And who have you exhorted lately? Have you come alongside the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, who come alongside you and me in the times of our need? Have you come alongside anyone recently? The Spirit of God drew you to them. You see their struggle, whatever it might be. You're just concerned. Have you come alongside anybody to lift them up, 
to strengthen their hands and their feeble knees, to help them grow spiritually, to ask them if there's anything that you can pray for for them, to give them a word, a word of God, a timely word from the word of God. Ray Ortland said, I have never met anyone too encouraged. Have you? Is there such a thing as being too encouraged? He says, I've never met anyone too encouraged, never once. Be a Barnabas. Be a son of encouragement. Acts 9.26. This is after Paul's conversion. It says in Acts 9.26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem... He essayed to join himself to the disciples. He wanted to go to be there with them. But they were all afraid of him. And believe not that he was a disciple. And you might say they had good reason, right? Because he persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Who is this guy? You know, we're going to let him into our, our company? It's like letting the wolf into the hen's nest, you know, coop, chicken coop. But notice what it says in the Acts verse. Next verse, verse 27. So they're rejecting Paul. But Barnabas took him. The son of encouragement wanted to be a blessing to him. And an encouragement to him. And brought him to the the apostles. And then he stood in Paul's defense and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, was on the road to Damascus, and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. We could summarize it this way. When people rejected Saul, Barnabas believed in him. And sometimes people, people need for you to just believe in them. To believe that they can do this. They might need some help. Acts 15.36 through verse 41. It takes place just before Paul was, was about to leave on a second missionary journey. And while he and Barnabas put their affairs in order and planned out the details of the trip, a disagreement arose among them whether, whether or not John Mark should accompany them. So you read in Acts 15, verse 36, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who hath withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on in the work. So I mean, we... I don't know that I would think any differently, you know. <laughs> but look what it says in verse 39. And they rose a sharp disagreement. That's the word paroxysm again. There was a pointed, you know, uh, con- conflict between them. So that they separated from each other. Now, we don't have the historical information. There's all kinds of ideas on what was, you know, Paul's problem with Barnabas and so forth. But that's not the point. Here's the point. Barnabas took Mark with him. So they separated. Barnabas took Mark and they sailed to Cyprus. Paul had given up on him. But Barnabas says, come with me. 
Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So again, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, did not want to give up on Mark. He wanted to give him a chance to develop and mature in his walk, whatever happened there, where, where he gave up and quit before. And that's what encouragers do. They want to give you opportunities, and they want to help you develop and mature in your Christian walk. And you know what? Paul said, no way, he's not coming with me. But here's the amazing thing. In the end, in the end, Mark, who Paul rejected and Barnabas accepted and took along with him, he became a great blessing to the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 4.10 Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Thank God for Luke. All right, thank God for people like that. But notice what he says here in the end. Take Mark, the one I rejected before, and bring him with you, for he is profitable for me, for the ministry. That was because I believe of the influence of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I know I told you a story one time. I had a teacher. His name was Don Trott. And he was at Baptist Bible College in Clark Summit. And I had some, took some classes there. And every time before class, he would start with, with prayer requests. So he was kind of distressed. And he had this prayer request. And he says, I want you to pray for I want you to pray for this, this man, Robert. I started a Bible study in my home, and he's coming. And he's a man off the streets. And he says he's, it looks like he's living on the streets. And, and he doesn't smell too good. And he comes, and he, he wants to sit right there by my daughter. And, and he, he, Don was being very honest. He says, I, I tell you the truth, I don't even want him there. I don't, I don't, I, I don't trust him. I don't know, whatever it is. He said, just pray that the Lord will give me a heart for him. And because and, uh, he, he, he wanted to be there. So I ended the class, never knew what happened with Robert. Probably 10 years later, one of the speakers at Christian Heritage College was a man named Don Trot, who left the school being a professor and went on to become a missionary with the, G8, with the GARB, General Association of Regular Baptists. And he spoke in chapel. And I, and I stood there, and afterwards, I was just kind of spellbound, really, by what he was saying. Because he told everybody there, don't give up on people. And he started telling the story of Robert. And I was the only one there who knew what that was about. You know, in its original setting. He said, I, I, I didn't give up on Robert. And eventually he came to salvation in Jesus Christ. And his life was completely changed. Completely. And he says, you know what? When I was on, 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 the, uh, on the mission field, he would write me. Or if I was available, he would call me regularly. And he'd call me He'd pick up, he says, I'd answer the phone, and he'd say, Don, it's Robert. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. 
He says he became my most faithful prayer partner. Somebody that he wanted to give up on. And that's what, that's what happened with, with Paul. Giving up on Mark Luke, or on Mark, but then in the end saying, bring him, because he's profitable for me for the ministry. So be an exhorter, right? Be a Barnabas. Now, there are some negatives with exhorters. I didn't put an exhaustive list. Some people have a whole page full of things. But sometimes if you have uh, the gift of exhortation, you can interrupt people with, with their, in their problems without hearing them out. And just a word to those of you who have opportunity to counsel people, the first trait of a good counselor is the ability to what? To listen. To listen. How do you know how to respond unless they could really just lay it out for you? So let people speak. I don't always do that because you know you want to jump in there because you think you have the answer. But hear them out. Sometimes they're hurting. You need to hear that hurt. Sometimes they're Exhorters are too quick to respond with simple answers, right? You got a Bible verse for everything, right? Just a pat answer. Pat answer. Sometimes pat answers don't do, right? They, 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 they have a tendency to kind of oversimplify things. Oh, yeah, here, this. Look, there are some things in life that are just a mess, and there are no simple solutions. And there's no how-to book that you can go to and say, oh, okay, if I only do this, it's going to work. So don't be too quick to respond. Another thing, they can use scriptures loosely or out of, out of context. And we all know those verses, right? All things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And you're going through this great deep trial in your life and somebody comes alongside, doesn't even hear you out and says, don't worry, all of you think it's going to work out for good. And you want to say, are you kidding me? Do you know what I'm going through? Now I explained that verse and how people misuse that verse. But in the end, in the sum total of all the things that we go through in life, it is going to be work out for God's glory and for your good. But you lose a child, there ain't nothing good about that. There's nothing easy about that. You lose your wife, your husband to cancer, there's nothing easy about that. So don't come alongside somebody with a quick Bible verse and put a Band-Aid on a, on a severe wound. Sometimes counselors can come across, exhorters can come across as authoritarian or know-it-alls, very opinionated. Look, we could all fall into that. And then another thing, as I said, sometimes they, they oversimplify things, but sometimes they, they can use a point-by-point approach to problems. Everything has three or four or five point things that you got to do. Bill Gothard was like this. He had a, this big red book, you know, I don't, don't know if you remember that. But, but he had an answer, you know, three points, four points, five points, six points, ten points, twelve points, fifteen points for everything. And life does not work that way. So, just some of the things that you need to be aware of. Thank God for every one of you who has the gift of exhortation. <laughs> I need you. We need you. If you have the exhortation, gift of exhortation, then exhort. All right. Don't be afraid to use it.